Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Heartbreak. We'll join us to discuss Framers. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. show. Well, heartbreak. Why does it hurt so much? And why is so much of the conventional wisdom about it so wrong? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Miss Florence Williams. Ms. Williams is the author of Breasts, which was the winner of the Los Angeles Times Book Prize, and The Nature Fix. She's a contributing editor at Outside Magazine, whose writing has appeared in the New York Times, National Geographic, and many other outlets. She's penned the new book, Heartbreak. A personal and scientific journey, and she joins us today to discuss this issue. Ms. Williams, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book you put together here, Heartbreak, uh, which you talk about this very human emotion. I'm curious why you decided to put this book together. Yeah, sure. I, uh, I had been married for 25 years, and the short story is one day my husband said, you know, I, I actually think I need to go find my soulmate, <laughs> and you're not it. And it was devastating and crushing and shocking. I had never experienced this before. And it was not only a huge emotional blow, but I actually felt that pain register in my body in a way that really surprised me and baffled me. I was like, why, you know, why am I getting sick? Why am I not sleeping? Why am I losing weight? I was aware that there was so much art, so much popular singing, so much poetry about heartbreak, but there wasn't very much science. I wanted to know why my immune system was feeling this pain, and that's what started this journey. It's really one of those things I think a lot of people can empathize with and felt. What is it about this emotion? What's it doing to our body, and what did you find out? Well, I talked to a number of psychologists. I talked to anthropologists. I talked to neuro scientists, I talk to geneticists. Basically, what it comes down to is that as human animals, you know, we are hypersensitive to changes in our social status. We're hypersensitive to rejection. And we are freaked out by the concept of being alone in the universe. And so when we get rejected by love, it feels like we've been abandoned. It feels in some ways like we are alone on the savanna and we're being circled by hyenas because for most of our history on this planet, um, to be alone did mean, in fact, that you were imperiled. That's why we are a social animal. You know, it's, there's safety in numbers. And so our nervous system really responds to that and says, whoa, girl, you're about to be attacked by a tiger. And then it tells our uh, immune cells, gives our immune cells instructions um, to put out more inflammation. And because it can't do everything, to actually spend less time trying to fight things like viruses, which are spread in groups, which presumably you no longer are. So in a weird way, like our nervous system doesn't really make a distinction between being left out in the jungle to stumble through by ourselves and being rejected by love. So in many ways, body is reacting in a very life and death way. 
Yeah, you're in fight or flight. Your body feels threatened. For me, I that, that inflammation, you know, I mean, for anyone, chronic inflammation can lead to all kinds of, you know, long-term diseases, uh, early death. People who have gone through divorce, for example, have a 23% increased risk of early death. And a number of other chronic diseases get increased um, after divorce, after heartbreak. So for me, my pancreas shut down. Some people feel it in their heart, literally. You know, there is a kind of heart condition called Takotsubo cardiomyopathy that happens after a big emotional blow. But I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, which was type 1 diabetes, ended up in the hospital. And I thought, wow, I have to get better. And I have to understand, you know, the science journalist in me wants to understand why is this happening and how can I get better? The, the effects can be very broad reaching and heartbreak really in that case might not just be a metaphor. It actually can have real effects on the heart. It's not just a metaphor, it turns out. You know, I, I think like many of us thought, oh, heartbreak is something that largely exists in your head, in your psyche. There's a lot of sad, um, but it's much more profound than that. And, and in fact, one of the um, neurogeneticists I talked to specializes in the immune system. He said to me, heartbreak is one of the hidden landmines of human existence. Wow. Was there anything particularly surprising? What was the most surprising thing you found out when you were looking at all of the different effects that this could have or to our body? Well, once I found out about all the really bummer effects <laughs> on our bodies of, of being heartbroken, being divorced, you know, um, increased risk of all these diseases, I, I met a psychologist researcher at the University of Utah that really changed the course of my next few years. And what she said to me is, she said, we find that people who are most resilient are the ones who are able to really appreciate beauty and who can cultivate a sense of awe. These are the people who can still experience some joy in the midst of their heartbreak. They can feel more connected to other people and to the world around them. Um, and there's something about being able to cultivate this sense of awe that kind of connects different parts of their brains, literally. I mean, we've seen this in the MRI studies. Um, in a way that helps them tell a story in which they can recover from this and have a more hopeful future. And so I just found that wildly hopeful, and I was determined to make myself better appreciating beauty, and that's what I set out to do. Are there physical things we can do to change the effects that heartbreak has on our body? Yes, I ended up kind of coming up with the sort of three for recovering from heartbreak. And, and the first is you really have to get out of this fight or flight state. So because healing is just not going to happen while you're freaked out about your, your existence and your future. Um, so first calming down and beauty can actually do that. Experiencing beauty. Uh, there have been studies showing that when we experience awe, our brains kind of stop for a minute, you know, and we stop processing kind of the deep fear and we start just paying attention and waking up our sensory brains, you know, and, and then um, you're trying to take in this new information of whatever beautiful thing has appeared before us, you know, like a, a full moon suddenly on the horizon. Um, but there are other ways to experience calm. For me, there was a lot of movement, um, you know, some breathing, some meditation, even the comfort of being around other people, comfort of being touched, you know, all of these things can calm us down um, to just get our nervous system, you know, kind of in a safer place. And then the second piece is really connection. So connecting to the world around us, connecting to other people, 
this is something we can start to do, you know, once we're a little bit less freaked out. And then finally, purpose and meaning. What is the why that you can take away from this to move forward with the rest of your life? The effects that heartbreak has is very similar to other types of stresses on our body that can arouse this kind of fight or flight response. Does looking at the science of heartbreak teach us about these other stressors and vice versa? Can we learn about how to deal with heartbreak from other conditions that maybe affect the body the same way? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of crossover between the anxiety and and freak out, if you will, that we fear after heartbreak and after other terrifying, disturbing, um, very distressful life events. I ended up writing a lot about grief and loneliness, and these are certainly shared emotions, even relevant to things like climate change, uh, even relevant to racial injustice, relevant to living in a pandemic, um, this sort of social isolation or social shrinkage that so many of us are facing, our fear for our children, and so on. So I, there are so many lessons in heartbreak that I think we can really take into other areas of our lives and, and the lives of those we love. Some societies might not be as accommodating as others. And in your journeys, you interviewed Britain's Minister of Loneliness. What did you learn from that? Yeah, that was really fascinating. The UK is taking loneliness very seriously, as they should, because we know loneliness is a risk factor for uh, dying early. It's a risk factor for depression. It's a risk factor for all kinds of diseases. And again, a lot of these seem actually mediated by certain monocytes in our immune system that kind of listen for loneliness. So the UK is taking it really seriously. They want to reduce some of the stigma associated with loneliness, get people to talk about it, get people to seek help. They've instituted a bunch of really interesting social prescriptions that are needed out by their health service and others to get together with people who have similar interests. You know, I, I visited something called a men's shed, which is where a bunch of guys get together a couple times a week and they build birdhouses and they use power tools and they drink a lot of tea. There are, um, you know, birding groups. There are walking groups. There are choirs and music groups and so on. And I think they, they're hoping that through these social, these social prescriptions that, that people can start to have their, you know, deeply evolved, deeply human needs met. Japan has a minister of loneliness. I think the UAE has the minister of happiness. Do you think there needs a better focus in the States on social well-being, positive psychology? Yeah, I really do. I mean, our, our Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, has written a book about loneliness. So at the top levels of government, I think there is a lot of awareness right now about this issue. I would love to see our kids learn more emotional intelligence skills about communicating their emotions, communicating their needs, being vulnerable with each other. In our culture, we have such a history of sort of self-reliance and, you know, putting on a, a sort of happy face and, and moving through things. And there's a place for that, but, but it also ultimately provides opportunities for disconnection and lost opportunities to really, I think, understand each other and, and help each other and, and ultimately find love and keep love. Do we find evidence of this behavior physiological effects in, in other animals? Oh yeah, we absolutely do see it. Uh, in fact, I spent some time in a lab at the University of Colorado where a researcher there, Zoe Donaldson, is seeing prairie voles. <laughs> so prairie voles are adorable. They're sort of like hamsters. Um, they huddle. 
they like to be really close to each other. They like to, you know, sort of um, touch each other and find comfort, you know, through, through their groups, but they're also pair bonding. So like us, they tend to form monogamous pairs for raising their pups. And if you remove one of their mates, the one who's left behind suffers enormously, suffers more stress hormones coursing through their bodies, behaves differently in a whole host of tests acts in ways that the human analogs would be anxiety and depression. And then we're also looking at how to help those bereft voles feel better. And one of them is spending more time perhaps with their, their siblings or others in their group. Um, they're even looking at possible medications that people can take or that the voles can take <laughs> to help them process some of this um, grief and the stress, the distress of it in a quicker way, ways that will help them accept the loss of their loved one a little bit more easily. I mean, you did just mention it, and I'm sure a lot of people would like a pill for the quick fix of, <laughs> is something like that out there, or is that a thought on the horizon? Yeah, there, there, are, there are labs out there looking at a sort of pill for loneliness. I'm a little bit skeptical about it. You know, certainly a lot of psychotropic medications um, are not completely helpful. They're sort of disappointing. They're maybe part of the package. They may be, they, it, it may be that they can sort of open up a window of learning, right? If we're also doing sort of cognitive therapy at the same time. Um, but it turns out that looking at awe, looking at beauty also opens up a window for cognitive learning for telling ourselves a new story about who we want to be for changing our self-concept. And of course, I'm, I'm really prone <laughs> to that idea that, that being in nature, listening to a symphony, these things make us feel not only closer to each other, but, but can just put our problems into perspective. What do you see as the future of scientific investigation, how society deals with loneliness and, and heartbreak? That's a good question. I think for the future, there are a couple of things that we really need to see. And, and one is increasing this emotional education uh, in children so that we don't start off hiding, hiding our emotions and, and not being able to communicate very well. Um, and, I, and I think we're starting to also value, you know, certain kinds of cognitive behavior therapy, talk therapy more. I think there's certainly a place for that. It's going to be challenging because increasingly in industrial societies, we're seeing um, increased loneliness, especially among young people. You know, social media certainly appears to be increasing authentic face-to-face -face connections that people have and their needs for human connection. So I think we're going to have to figure out how to manage that, how to manage our social media, how to sort of meet it out. I mean, I would love to see us understand that connecting to nature is going to be a really important part of us all feeling better. Um, curious if you have any final words regarding the book, Heartbreak, and uh, what would you like people to take home from it? Thank you. I would like to take home that if you are experiencing heartbreak, please take it seriously. It's not going to go away unless you work at it and understand that it is actually a real and urgent threat to your health. If you know someone who's going through heartbreak or another kind of hard time, please be there for them. They're, they're going to really need you. They're going to need your friendship and they're going to need your, your just authentic self showing up to them. We're just talking with Miss Florence Williams, her new book, Heartbreak. A Personal and Scientific Journey. Ms. Williams, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. 
Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at grox.net. For Grox Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.